today on the Our Taste is Trash podcast. We conclude our review of the Fear Street trilogy with Fear Street 1666 on Netflix. We discuss summer blockbusters that we're pumped to watch. And tell you why we think horror is the most underrated film genre. Please rate, review, and follow Our Taste is Trash podcast. It really helps us out. So stick around. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Well, I'm Josh. And I'm Jade. And this is Our Taste is Trash. All right. Well, Jade, just to dive right into things, I'm pretty pumped because we're officially a sponsored podcast now. (laughs) Yes, we are. (laughs) We got Anchor.fm to sponsor us, and you're going to hear that commercial probably in the beginning or in the middle of the podcast. It just depends on where we edit that in because we don't have the technology yet to actually like insert that during our show, but we're kind of a big deal now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And also, Jade, we're an international show we just found out. Yeah, so it turns out we have some listeners from across the pond in Denmark and Germany right now. Well, uh, when we make it famous, uh, just so that everyone knows, you heard it here first, uh, you know, we're on our way up, I think. We're, you know, we're going to make uh, dozens of dollars over the next few weeks oh, and become a sensation in Europe, I think. But anyway, you know, you know what I finally did this last week, Jade? I watched a movie that I always told people is essential, but never sat down and watched it. I watched Chinatown for the first time. Oh. And I have to say... I appreciate it. It was good. I mean, it's it's widely accepted as one of the, you know, best scripts ever written. It's a Roman Polanski film, for those who don't know. It's early Jack Nicholson. It's great. Like, it was a good movie. I just think it's one of those movies that doesn't quite hold up to the times. It very has yeah. that very, like, 19... It's, it was made in the 1970s, but it feels mm-hmm. like very 1950s Hollywood, where it's like, oh, boy, Jack, like... <laughs> You go ahead yes. and get him, you old rascal kind of thing. I mean, you know, the dialogue's good in some regards, and it's a movie that you probably should watch, but it's just not enjoyable. Like, I, I don't, I don't, didn't enjoy watching it. It's probably not something I sit down yeah. and watch again. I can appreciate it for what it is, but right. it's, it's okay. I think yeah. is what I'm trying to say. But what about you? Any, anything that was interesting that you watched this week? Oh, gosh. I have two. One is I watched the sequel to Escape Room. So it's Escape Room 2, Game of Tournaments. Um, interesting. However you feel about those movies. Personally, I don't think too hard about them. They're fun if you enjoy Escape Rooms. And that concept, I actually thought they took a pretty clever turn in this movie. And uh, somewhat, I mean, it was enjoyable. And then the other one, not quite so much. Mm. I just watched Jolt on Amazon Prime starring oh. Kate Beckinsale. I was say, Kate Beckinsale. Yes. Can, can I just say real quick before you dive into it? <laughs> I don't believe that Kate Beckinsale has aged since Underworld, which I think was like circa 2002, if I remember right. Yeah, definitely early 2000s. Um, she may truly be a vampire. <laughs> um, clearly, this woman is, you know, she's 48, looks phenomenal. I can only hope with a little bit of money as well uh, to look as good as her. But uh, <laughs> this movie, though, was just, um, yeah, trash. It <laughs> Maybe it would work in a comic book format, but it was just so wildly insane and it just did not make any sense. I didn't know where it was going. I think that it could have been good if they leaned into the campiness, but mm. I think they were trying to make it a little bit more serious than that so uh yeah i do not recommend watching it unless you love straight trash so So, is it trash though jade or is it just a raging dumpster fire 
Ooh. <sighs> hmm. I'm going to say, you know what? Dumpster fire. Oh. Yeah. I don't think there's anything that's going to really redeem this. And it looks like they might be reaching for a sequel. And oh, stop. I just. <laughs> I don't know who's watching this, unless you're me, uh, to even make this worth having a sequel. Well, Jade, speaking of Raging Dumpster Fires, as much as it pains me to admit it, I have to issue an apology. And the apology I have to issue is to Gossip Girl, because I actually went at the coaxing of one of my buddies, Walt. He said to go ahead and watch the second episode, which I did. Now I've watched the third. He said, you know, what he said to me was, you know, it's it's not Gossip Girl in terms of, you know, the, the earlier version. It's not our Gossip Girl, but it's still Gossip Girl. And you know what? I watched episode two and three, and he was so right. So, Jade, mm-hmm. the first time ever, I'm going to issue an apology on the show. Oh, so, okay. since we have to add this in post, we're going to cue the savvy music right here. And we're going to go right into it. Dear Gossip Girl on HBO Max, I apologize for my rush to judgment. I was so angered by the first episode of your new show that I compared it to a raging dumpster fire of literal trash. Which at the time I felt was an insult to dumpster fires, honestly. The first episode was so bad that I thought for sure it was directed by Tommy Wiseau or maybe even Michael Bay. But I watched episode two and episode three and you brought me back to what made Gossip Girl, Gossip Girl. Monologues by Kirsten Bell, petty dramatic fights that could only be had by billionaire children, and I also want to thank you for getting rid of Blackberries and using iPhones like real people. HBO Max, you have made a solidly trash show, and I will continue to watch for at least one season. XOXO, Josh from Artasis Trash Podcast, your apologies in the mail. <laughs> oh, that is quite the apology there, Josh. Uh, can't say I share the same opinions, but, uh, you know. To be fair, Jade, though, have you actually sat down and watched the other two episodes? No, but I think the thing that's keeping me from it is the fact that we still know that grown adult teachers are talking smack about underage children and taking photographs of them while undressed. It, so. it is, it, that part is still very frustrating, and I wish there was a little more veil, like in the previous series, to who Gossip Girl was. But because of how good I think that the character development has become in the last couple of episodes, I, I was willing to overlook that. And I, I think at least we'll have to continue for at least one more season. You have a lot more, more grace than I do. <laughs> Um, you know, Jade, before we go on, uh, you know, I want to get your thoughts, your initial thoughts on Fear Street, which is our main focus today, Fear Street 1666. Yes. 666, very original here. <laughs> um, but, you know, what are just some initial thoughts that you had of that film as we close out this trilogy? Uh, you know, I was really hoping that this was going to cap off the three films and make it an overall, like, enjoyable experience. But... What killed it for me was that first half. Uh, being actually in 1666, if you know, if they'd done it right, I think it could have been a lot better. But uh, I mean, we'll get into that later. I, I, I kind of have to agree with you. You know, uh, one of my issues with this last part is that it felt. I mean, it, it is divided. You know, to give a little bit of insight, you start off in 1666, and then they finish the film in 94. And at one point, I remember kind of, as they get to that midpoint of the film, I'm going, oh, wow, it's almost over. And then I had to pause to like grab some more water and, and use the restroom real quick. And I was like, 
oh my goodness, there's like another hour left to this movie, oh, you know? Like, yeah. why did we spend this much time in 66? But, I mean, there's a few redeeming qualities, and I think that there's some, you know, questions that were answered that were really great uh, in this last one, but also some things that, you know, may, weren't as redeeming. One of the frustrating things is, you know, I guess maybe just because of the time period, we didn't get a lot of those fun, nostalgic little items oh, that we got in 78 and 94. Yes. Like, there really wasn't much done. I mean, obviously, it's 1666, so it's a little more challenging. It's not like they have a soundtrack that can go with that. But I <laughs> really? mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean, there probably is, but I don't know what the, you know, early settlers were jamming out to. But I mean, that was a little frustrating in terms of, you know, not having some of those cool, quirky pieces you were able to pick right. up on. I think it slowed the pace a little for me, too. Well, you know, one of the things I wanted to focus on today, Jade, since we're, you know, this is a horror movie. This is a slasher movie. One of my biggest qualms about horror movies in general is they are just not respected by filmmakers in in general. When I say filmmakers, you know, like talking about the Golden Globes or like the Oscars, like it takes an act of God to get some of these nominated because... I, I just don't think that maybe it's critics or, you know, let's call them elevated filmmakers really view the horror genre in the same way that they might view drama, comedy and or, you know, even musicals in some regards. Yeah, absolutely. I think they kind of look down on horror as this like cheap easy thing and really it's not i mean there's an entire subculture for this genre alone obviously audiences are going to see these films and some of them are so poignant and even really hit on you know very like sensitive subjects and uh you know yeah and and i think it's something that definitely is deserving of awards especially select films that people have raved about from the beginning but can't even seem to get a nomination not even yeah exactly not even nomination but also in terms of filmmaking there are so many movies that you can point to in the horror genre that inspire either you know like film techniques in terms of like shooting or you know acting techniques or or other things i mean special effects special effects i agreed like because usually they're a little more low budget right But they do things in such an innovative way that it inspires other things. You know, one of the movies that comes to mind when we talk about that is Paranormal Activity. Oh, one of my favorites. When I talk about this, Jade, I I don't (laughs) want to confuse with Paranormal Activity 2, 3. I think there's like 18 of them now. I don't even know how many. We're talking about the original one. Yes, absolutely. It was... That movie, I, I, I'm, I'm like getting chills and like goosebumps just thinking about it right now because oh, there's a couple scenes yeah. that stick out to me that just still blow my mind. It was like they made the whole movie for what, like ten thousand dollars or something oh, yeah, like that. Shoestring budget, and I mean it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, even just thinking about specific scenes or talking about them gives me goosebumps. And it doesn't matter how many times I watch this film. It still manages to scare me, like terrify me. It's the scene. That, well, there's two things that remind me of this. So one is the ending scene. I'm mean, spoiler. I mean, it's been out for seven years, so you should have seen <laughs> right. this film if you're interested. But it's where, like, the guy gets sucked out of the room by the wife who's possessed, and oh. then she charges back at the camera and like it's knocked down, blasting through the door, and you hear all these screams before that, like of right. things happening in the room. So terrifying. And then the other thing is where, as he's taping this, as he is figuring out that this is weird, as he's taping it throughout the night, Mm -hmm. when the wife is like standing above the bed, just watching him sleep. 
hours. hours. It's like eight hours or so. She's hovering. It's it's that's what they do so well in this film that I think even changed this genre for a lot of other films after is they use this element of not being able to even see the thing that is like haunting them or it's just this empty presence. And I think that's even scarier for audiences because they are essentially imagining their worst fears or inputting that into the film rather than telling audiences, here's the scary monster, here's what it looks like, here's what you should be afraid of. Instead, it's that thing of it's so small and it's so subtle and it feels so real like it could happen to us 100 percent. and you know as a as someone who you know went to film school and i i love like looking at the filmmaking process right i mean this was a guy who literally had himself a, a cheap little camera mm-hmm. he bought an editing suite so i think he had like final cut or or something like right. that and he made this low budget film in his house and i don't feel like aside from i mean there are award shows that are specifically for the horror genre but like it's nothing that the average movie you know viewer knows about you know like they don't of know course, about no. some of these other you know you're not lower tier award shows like a whole like watch party, party. Yeah, yeah for one of these you for know for like the san francisco horror or whatever i'm making something up here yeah, but like yeah. horror <laughs> film fest like no one's like having a watch party for that right, kind of stuff right you know and yeah it, and it also speaking of just you know, the style, even before that was Blair Witch Project, which was a couple college students, oh my again, goodness. with a handicam. Um, and it it, it, cha- it blew up. I mean, it was all people were talking about at the time. And again, it just, it's one of those things where it's worthy of these major awards, but no one ever, you know, decides that they're worth it. There's a couple of movies that's kind of stick out in my mind. One I want to talk about, uh, <laughs> we were talking about this in pre-show, but The Babadook. And and before we get into, <laughs> before we get into the oh, laughs, The Babadook. I mean, the one, I felt like that movie was a little bit different. I mean, it doesn't really have the gore and some of the other things that, you know, you think of a slasher horror mm-hmm. movie. Right. But it's this suspenseful, kind of creepy, odd, a little supernatural. Yes. But for me, it's it's the acting. It's it's the acting of Essie Davis, who is the lead actress here. Mm-hmm. I think she deserved some kind of recognition more than she got for this. Oh, my gosh. Her and the the, the actor the that child. plays her son, I mean, phenomenal. Like, yes. For me, it felt like that fear was so visceral through the camera. I felt it like I, I was, you know, I was there with her. And even the emotional issues they're dealing with. I mean, everything is so symbolic of a person dealing with loss. She's trying to deal right. with the fact that she just lost her husband. She's here with a small child trying to make ends meet, mm-hmm. trying to make things go, trying not to be depressed, you know, <laughs> yeah. all the time. I mean, she's dealing with depression. There's a lot of real issues being dealt with. But speaking of the performance, the scene that still creeps me out the most has nothing to do with the monster, has nothing to do with the book. It's where she's so her and her child are so frustrated with each other that they look at each other when they're in a car and they just start screaming at the top of their lungs in right, each other's yeah. faces. And like that scene still just goes, well, it's so raw and emotional. it's unexpected and you don't know where it's going. Yeah. And for it to just kind of break up this whole like scene as well. Like, again, like there's no Babadook present, but it's just this real raw emotion in the midst of this horror film. You know, and, and people might not know who Essie Davis is. I actually even had to look her up a little bit. But I mean, you would recognize her from other things like the white princess i laugh about this the slap (laughs) but uh, also she played lady crane in game of thrones i mean you know she's a recognizable really accomplished actress yes that 
I think for this role, I mean, it, it was fantastic. Like, it, she's right. absolutely amazing in it. But, Jade, I know I know you can't look at the Babadook the same oh, because... It's, yeah, <laughs> I, I now have a little bit of a skewed view of this film simply because of what happened. Uh, if you're not aware, if you're not on the internet, uh, basically... What is the internet? Yeah. <laughs> is that the World Wide Web? <laughs> I mean, yeah, or if you're just on a certain side of Facebook. Um, but essentially, this like tweet went completely viral when somebody who was on Netflix uh, had a category listed for them for LGBTQ movies, and the Babadook somehow was listed under that. Obviously, a glitch um, or an error on Netflix's part. But uh, basically, people took it as they do with the internet and ran with it. And now the Babadook is a queer icon. And <laughs> uh, if you don't know about this, I encourage you to just look up the Babadook queer icon. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. The memes that came out of this, absolutely incredible. Still a scary movie, but... Because um... <laughs> he is a very comical figure. Like, when you actually see what the Babadook it, looks like, it is very comical. Although, in in... The movie itself is very creepy and suspenseful because you yes. don't really see him all that much aside right. from the children's book. But I mean, yeah. just his, well, in I, the context the little, of the, the film, it's the... scary. But when you take it outside of the film, and it's then, just ridiculous. And then especially when you add the things that people added to it for this meme, uh, yeah, it's it works. It's so great to me. I I love it so much. <laughs> oh my god. And, you know, before we leave, like, some of the categories of movies, I mean, there are some horror movies, Jade, that, you know, they get some of the recognition, but it, it always feels, it always feels like when a horror movie or a suspense movie gets recognition, it's almost like a backhanded compliment, you know? Oh, I mean, right. you, you take a movie recently, one comes to mind that was excellent, was Get Out, you oh, know, like, of course. such a good film. I'm going to read a quote because it was something that just kind of like, you know, like just really fed into what I was thinking in terms of like horror movies being so disrespected. And one of the comments was they called it elevated suspense or elevated horror. Right. And you might think like, oh, that's a compliment. But at the same time, what you're doing in calling this movie elevated is you're saying horror movies in general are lesser than. Well, exactly. Lesser than all those other categories. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, and for those who don't know, who haven't seen, you know, Get Out, I mean, it did win Best Original Screenplay, Jordan Peele, you know, excellent, you know, well-deserved. It was nominated for a lot of things. Yes, You know, it was. Best Picture, Directing, Lead Actor with Daniel, I'm going to, I'm going to, Butcher this last name, Daniel Kaluuya. I think that's I how believe. you say it. Yeah, so sorry. I mean, start in like you know Black Panther, and in you know if you haven't seen this movie, Judas and the Black Messiah. Oh my god, so good. He's incredible in that. He's role. an amazing actor. He gained a bunch of weight for that role, actually. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. So he like gained a bunch of weight for that role, but like he's excellent in that film. Um, but yeah, I mean, get out. I mean, Jade, what is it? Why is it that you think? Even when a horror movie is excellent and gets a little bit, a glimmer of the recognition it deserves, it, it always seems a little backhanded. You know, I think compare, using Get Out as kind of what I think the Academy sees as being elevated, there's two things that I really noticed that sets it apart. Is One, in Get Out, there was no real gory like violence. Mm. And I think as soon as a, a horror film introduces that, I think the Academy immediately writes it off, um, not seeing kind of this blood or, or the violence or, or gore as something real or worthy, even though, you know, there's 
beautiful films that use it in order to, you know, tell this very graphic story, but it's still important. And then I think the second thing is by, you know, there's in Get Out, there's no like monster or creature or big bad villain. It's kind of this societal villain. It's very like highbrow and what it's trying to say, but you know, mm. socio, like sociology and like political and kind of this commentary. Um, but I feel like that is actually pretty common in a lot of other horror films as well. Um, but I think if they introduce some sort of supernatural element to it, again, the Academy is like, no, absolutely not. This is, you know, cheap or not, you know, interesting or whatever they, they assume. You know, I, I think also when it comes to the, the award shows that, people recognize, you know, the Golden Globes, the Oscars, some of these other award shows that I I don't think there's enough categories to really encompass all the great filmmaking that's going on out there. You know, I feel like if you're a best picture, nine times out of 10, you have to be in the drama category. Oh, You know, yeah. you have to be a drama in order to meet that criteria because, you know, they want it to be you know, flashy a little bit, but like it has to be a little bit art house. It has to be, you know, not all best pictures are fun to watch. Like I I will sit there. I'm one of those people that likes to go through and watch the winners, but like there are plenty of times a best picture or even like best actor or actress has won for something where like, you know, Woody, like what was it? Uh, Blue Jasmine that Kate Blanchett won for a few years ago. Right. Yes. It's a great, it's a great performance. Don't get me wrong. Am I going to rewatch Blue Jasmine? Probably no. not. You I know? mean, I felt that way too. Uh, a couple of like 1917 it was a good war movie, but sure. God, it just was so, for <laughs> me, dragging because, it, you know, there were, again, amazing things. There's a reason why it's nominated, but at the same time, it wasn't an entertaining film. And I think for me personally, when I go to movies, it, I want to be enlightened and I want to see cool things, but I also want to be entertained. Exactly. And, you know, I, I think that's just it. I think that. You know, award shows and, you know, the people making the decisions, critics for some of this criteria needs to expand that, you know, when it because horror is not the only disrespected genre. I mean, you can even fit in like sci-fi to that. There's a lot of great sci-fi. I feel like when you get into that arena, too, you don't get the same amount of respect if you're just a drama or a comedy. Right. And then just also to be compared, I think there's just so many different genres of film that I think comparing them all on the same plane is a disservice to them, especially when you can only fit like five movies per genre. I mean, there's only drama and comedy. That's only 10 films that have any sort of chance of winning. Well, and then too, even, I mean, we were talking about the Emmys before, you know, not everything fits perfectly even into those categories. You know, I mean, like, what was it with the Emmys had the flight attendant in a comedy Comedy. series? Sure. Like, there were some funny moments. Right. There were also some very dramatic moments. But I mean, I don't think it fits firmly in either one of those camps. It's a little bit different. Right. Agree. I feel the same way. I feel like this is also a very tough line to walk is uh, even those that are the I would say dramatic comedies or comedic dramas and now they're pigeonholed into one category where they're up against very serious dramas or very big comedies um, and they just don't compare. You know one show though that may get a little bit of recognition at the Oscars or maybe even Golden Globes probably more in the 
foreign film category, mm-hmm. or maybe it'll it'll sneak in as a dark horse contender. But uh, you know, the Cannes Film Festival just happened recently, and yes, <laughs> I I always love like it's one of my dreams, Jay, to like actually go. That's one of the festivals I uh, want to attend same. one day. So. so if we ever end up making any, money, so when we get what we need like seven or eight more sponsors, I think we can probably <laughs> afford that. Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely, of course, as you know, <laughs> big money, but. We were talking about this show earlier because it it won the the Palm Door, which is like the premier best right, picture. Yeah. Uh, there's actually a funny moment with Spike Lee who presented. <laughs> he like <laughs> he announced this movie first. It's like it'd be like for the Oscars for those who watch. It'd be like announcing best picture as the first thing. Oh, you mean when they did that with uh, what was it Moonlight, oh, Moonlight and they messed it they up? They messed with, it up. Yeah. With what is it? L.A. Story. Oh or no, no, it wasn't uh, like it was. Oh goodness, someone's gonna hate us. Someone's screaming at us right now as they're listening to this. It's it was uh, the Emma Stone and uh, uh, the Hollywood movie uh oh my god la la land. La la land there we go sorry brain yeah. fart but la la yeah, la land. Land. and remember he's like holding win. it up and he's like no we didn't win like oh, yes. that was awful that yes yeah, that uncomfortable moment where they're like whoops and here at con <laughs> with spike lee but they tell him to go up and make like the first whatever that first category was and he thought they meant to go up and announce the palm door and so he goes and is like and titan it's titan but it's titanium yeah. uh in french <laughs> is the film yeah, titan. and they're like no Oh, and he announced it and they kind of made fun of it throughout the rest of the show but <laughs> anyway this movie it sounds insane it, it's it's like a little bit sci-fi mm-hmm. it's a little bit oh, a lot horror right it's I'm gonna read I think I have a description here of it which kind of gives you an idea but it says following a series of unexplained crimes a father father is reunited with the son who has been missing for 10 years and then it says Titan a highly a metal that's highly resistant to heat and corrosion with high, I can't read this, tensile strength alloys. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Tensile strength. There we go. See? <laughs> Jade knows more things than me. I don't know why I'm... But, Jade, this movie sounds insane. Like, Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think she has, like, sex with a car. With, that's... With, I want to make this clear. With a car. Not, yeah, not, not in, in a car. car yes. With um, an actual automobile. Yeah, uh... I'm, I just want to know how that works. Yes. Um, and to me, this seems like kind of that like techno thriller, like cyberpunk, like very a bit out horror. there. Uh, just, you know, it sounds like an interesting story uh, from what I've seen from the trailers looks absolutely visually stunning. So um. and, and what's cool is actually the director, Julia, I'm going to butcher this last name again. Uh, Ducourneau, I believe is what her name is. She's only the second female director to actually win a Palme d'Or at Cannes Film Festival. So that's, you know, kind of interesting she yeah. uh also had a movie her first movie that she came out with it was called raw that also seems very intense out there i don't know what's going on with french filmmaking right now but like i feel like they've always been on the kind of weird side and you know for like french new wave films and so i expect nothing less well that's our take on you know the horror genre being underrated and we're actually going to take a quick break before we come back with our review of fear street 1666 Fear. You know, nothing good comes from those what's after sundown. What was that? Whew, okay. So, Fear Street, 1666. I, I'm trying to get all the years right. This is part three. Final <laughs> yes. in the trilogy here. We had 94, then we had 1978, and then here we are in colonial times in 1666. 
Jade, I did see the Netflix kind of plot summary for this. Do you, do you want me to go over that real quick before we dive in? Uh, yeah, sure. So it doesn't really give too much away, but it, all it says is thrust back to 1666. Dina learns the truth about Sarah Fear. Back in 1994, the friends fight for their lives and Shady Side's future. All right. Sounds that about accurate. Tells us a lot <laughs> <laughs> right there. So, you know, it, to kick things off, we, we actually watched this together uh, right after we recorded last week's show. Yeah. You know, let's just dive right in here. How do we start out and how does this kind of story unfold for people who are watching this trilogy along with us? So we learned at the end of seven, uh, 1978, uh, Dina, essentially, when she returns the hand to Sarah Fear's body, uh, they're reunited, she gets this vision where she is now in the body of Sarah Fear in 1666. So we're starting out right away with Dina playing the part of Sarah Fear, the same actress, and we're now introduced to the characters who essentially are the ones who result in this entire curse taking place. And the, I, I will say right off the bat, this threw me. <laughs> I mean, absolutely threw me. Um, so essentially, all the characters from 1994 and 1978 play the 1666 characters. So I, I wrote this down in my notes. We were watching. So yeah, so, you know, Josh is actually Dina's brother in 1666 also in 1994 and it's played by the same character right. although they're not the same family they're no. not a descendant the only descendant i think that we see is the that goods. are played is the goods who are right. there and I, those are played by the same characters but then other characters are played by random other ones like we yeah. do have the character of like sam who is you know the love interest of Dina, who's actually Sarah Fear. Yes. <laughs> and then the mother of Sam in '94 plays the mother of what is what is the name of Hannah? Sam? Hannah uh, plays her mother in 1666. But then another, they're just random characters. I just gave up. Like I tried to connect the dots on which players were supposed to be what. I finally just wrote WTF. <laughs> what is happening? Because I was so confused. Yes. And I assumed I was supposed to be drawing parallels, but. In reality, you didn't Same. have to for most of the characters. Right. I You wrote down a little guide, I think, I right? Did. I did. I, I had down. to because it was the only way I could keep up because the, the issue is, is they are not all direct descendants, which is what I no. originally thought was happening and why they made this choice. But we, yeah, like as you said, I think the goods are the only ones that are direct descendants. So instead, I'm kind of just, I'm, I'm in this space where I'm trying to remember who the characters are in 1666 because I'm also slightly trying to remember who they were in the last two movies that yeah, I just in 78, Because we have some of the characters from 78, some of right. the characters from 94, and it just seems to be a mishmash of like, well, we had these characters... You know, I guess just in the studio. So let's have them play other characters for no reason. No reason. I guess. Yeah. Uh, so that threw me for a little bit right off the bat. I was a little lost in the plot. And then the second thing we're also right off the bat was the accent. Oh, stop. I, I, mm, I cannot tell what these accents are supposed to be. <sighs> this is a pre-colonial time. So uh, I'm assuming that they're supposed to have just come from the UK somewhere in England and Scotland and Ireland. But the accents are all over the place because clearly oh, these all over are... The place. Young American actors who probably haven't had to do something like this before, um, and maybe it's not their strong suit. There's obviously no training involved in like uh, teaching oh, them, and, and there wasn't even anything that made sense. There was, I, I couldn't pick it out, but 
there was definitely like an English accent. Yes. I wrote down there was a Scottish accent or what I assumed was a Scottish accent. <laughs> and there was also an Irish accent. Yes. All of them were done poorly. S- uh, the actress that plays uh, Dina, a.k.a. Sarah Fear, seems to be some weird Irish accent. And I was like, what is... There's just so much that I'm like, what is this supposed to be? I think it would have been a stronger choice if they were gung-ho on keeping these actors is giving everyone an American accent because essentially if we're supposed to believe that this is Dina seeing a vision through Sarah Fear and possibly just using faces that she's familiar with, then they could have just all had American accents Mm -hmm. because it could have been along the same vein of She's just replacing these people with people that she knows and recognizes. Therefore, they wouldn't have accents. Kind of like, you know, as implied in like a movie like Wizard of Oz. It could have been one of those kind of movies. And that would have been believable and relatable as an audience member instead of just having horrible, horrible accents for no reason. Like if you're going to do the accent, I have this problem in a lot of movies. And they keep going in and out. Yeah, if you're going to do, they did. Sometimes (laughs) they were doing the accent and then sometimes the accent would change. And you're like... Did you just decide in this scene to change from a Scottish to an English accent, or do yeah. you not know the or difference like go back between to the two? American. Yeah. It was so. It was so because there were there were conversations uh, that were totally like they would just drop an accent, and you're like, right. wait a minute, I don't understand. We what are we doing yeah, here? Yeah, like, like how are, what is this you're supposed to be trying it, to say? It completely through like that. The accents combined with having these familiar actors that were playing different roles right threw me out at times of Same. what we were trying to do in this colonial yeah, I, village I got we lost in the create. story I think a little bit because of it yeah but anyway you know moving on a little bit so so we kind of set the scene so you know Dina's back in 1666 playing the Sarah Fear character we get to come familiar with what her life was like who she was in this society we meet the good family uh, Solomon Good is actually you know one of the great great as we understand it it's like an ancestor. ancestors of like like Sheriff Nick Good, and he's kind of living on this outside the settlement on his own. Like he's yeah, he's gone he's through some kind issues. Of the outskirts. He seems to be a little bit of an outsider. Doesn't maybe quite like the puritanical ways of this town. I think it's called a union or something. Mm-hmm. And then also, here's another thing that's kind of throwing me off, and I, we'll touch on this more later because I I want to point it out. But we also have this relationship that forms between Dina, who's playing Sarah Fear, and. Sam, who's playing the character of Hannah, and they have some kind of relationship that they're just starting out, some kind of romantic yes. relationship that they're trying, that I'm guessing is supposed to parallel the 94 relationship right. between Sam and, and Dina. Yeah, and especially, you know, obviously using the same actresses, so you're supposed to draw this, you know, straight line correlation between the two, but I think where the issue of this relationship bothers me as well is because this is also the catalyst for the events that happened in 1666 is because, of course, they are two women together at, again, a very puritanical time. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the thing that threw me off was is they literally just had their first kind of moment together and realizing they even have these feelings in the first place before the events happen. And they're just, I mean, it's like literally a day that mm-hmm. it all comes together and it seems like this relationship is immediately like, a, I'll, I'll die for you. This is like a ride or die right off the bat. <laughs> what I think, yeah. I, I wrote down that exact thing. I actually yes. wrote down how, <laughs> like, not to give too much away yet, but you know, I actually wrote down how did this relationship in the span of three days go from, oh, hey, we want to try out and see where this goes to 
bitch, you're my ride or die, and yes, we like, are gonna I like we are together forever. For and you're like, what? Yes, like when they haven't even explored their feelings. And so I think it would have served them better as a stronger romance story, which is clearly where they were trying to go, is if we were entering into the story with uh, I keep wanting to say Dina, Dina and Sam. It's Sarah, yeah. It's Sarah and, and Hannah, Hannah having already established a relationship, but they're keeping it secret. And then the night that they're all tripping on berries, that they become less careful about hiding it and then are witnessed. And then it would have been more believable because at that point, they would have already had an established relationship that's been ongoing for a long time. Mm. They've remained in secret for a long time. And then when Sarah kind of sacrifices herself for Hannah, I, that to me would have been felt, believable. Yeah, more believable. You would have believed it, Marvin. Which you did. So, so to give you know for those following along a little more context. So, what ends up happening essentially is you have the characters of you know I, I want to say Dina too, Sarah, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> who's played by Dina, and Hannah. They go to this kind of young adults party for I guess the colonials at the time. They're out in the woods yeah. drinking and everything, it's tripping like on these berries. Like an orgy. Yeah, kind for of like yeah, everyone's period. having sex, doing all sorts of things, but. Um, they also had kind of discovered, too, this widow's hut who right. has a very important piece of the rest of the story, which is that book yes. that we see in 1978. The witch's book, I guess, like is grimoire. kind of what they call it. Yeah. Um, with all the spells in it. So they discover that. Um, they go to this party. They kind of get high. They they Someone sees them or it's inferred that someone sees them having sexual yes. relations. Matt Thomas it, is the one who witnesses them. And he's yes. kind of like this town crazy guy, but somehow everyone believes them. And the reason that he's pissed off at these girls is he tried to make a move on Hannah and she rejected him or Dina rejected him as well. Well, that was Caleb. So, That's right, yeah. Caleb. So Thank, Caleb. See, it's... it's it's this is very what's confusing. If you haven't seen this, like it's super hard because you're referencing back to characters that you've seen because those act characters have played. Yes. Other are those actors have played other characters. Yes. So and keeping them all straight in sixty six is really confusing. Oh, and it was just very convoluted the way they went around it. So Caleb is is the same actor that played Peter, which was Sam's boyfriend. Oh, that's right. And so he was the one that got really handsy with Hannah. And then Matt Thomas is the one that witnesses them. But then Matt Thomas tells the whole town because he's like, they're sinners. They're laying with each other. And then when Caleb hears this, he's like, oh, well, I'm going to use this against them because Hannah wouldn't let me, you know, basically like uh, sexually assault her. So, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I mean, the reason, too, that we they start getting accused is because what ends up happening is... Everything starts going a little oddly in the in the town. You know, you start seeing some of the right. food going bad. You start pig, seeing some of the, the animals dying, you know, yeah, the, like the, the livestock. The mother pig ate all her babies. The well is poisoned by a dead dog. There's all these little signs that there's something wrong in the town. And so of course... The townspeople, of course, is a little. it feels a little crucible, although I don't feel like they lo- leaned into that enough. It right. feels very like there's some references to the crucible in oh, this. Oh, definitely. But they end up having that, you know, kind of... I feel like we've seen this in a lot of horror movies. You know, that town hall. They're all in the meeting hall and they're like we need to find someone to pin this on right like someone's a witch you know they start throwing out accusations of witch yes you know let's figure this out and then that's when we have this reveal of you know we think it's these two girls because oh i saw them i saw them out in the woods together right yes and and that's the thing is um it just becomes a little bit of a again convoluted way of pinning sarah as a witch because what kills me is apparently People know that there's the widow living out in the middle of the woods, yes. and it's kind of known that she is the witch. That's where they get the berries from. But yet, no one's killing her. No one's doing anything about. It. They're just kind of like, oh, yeah, she's just like the crazy lady who lives out in well, the woods. As we get into some spoilers here. 
Yes. We do discover we do discover that, you know, the Dina, because after this accusation, Hannah, Dina, I keep saying it, Sarah Fear, who is played by Dina, the character Dina, uh, Sarah and Hannah get accused and Hannah gets captured and Dina runs off, tries to go back to the witch's hut to find the spell book. She thinks maybe that has something to do with what's happening. Right. And finds that the witch is dead. She yes. she finds out that she Somebody someone killed her, her and the book is gone. Right, and I mean, and just real quick referencing the past killer, we finally get a look at Cyrus Miller, who's essentially the first of these killers. He's the pastor and Hannah's father, mm-hmm. um, and this is really what kind of makes people go all in on the the witch hunt is because he locked all the children in the church and he cut out their eyes and he cut out his own eyes. Um, and so they end up, of course, killing him. And now they're like out for blood. They're like, obviously he was possessed. So they don't blame Cyrus at all. Like, I, no. mean, he, I mean, he was the pastor and everything, but they don't, not really one person. I mean, I guess Solomon or someone does is like, oh, well, it's him. And everyone just ignores that and goes, this must be something else because he yes. was a great guy. Yeah, it's someone like, else's fault. We never, got to He was clearly possessed. There was something else happening. And yeah, they're so quick to just pin it on uh, Sarah and Hannah. And you, by the way, there's this, so Solomon, you know, he's this outsider or whatever. He kind of has this relationship with Sarah where there's a friendship, but he sees it as definitely more than. Yes. Um, and he mentions that at one point that he saw himself being with her. Um, so he's kind of written out to be this good guy, right? You know, he's supposed to be an ally to Sarah. He cares deeply for her. And Sarah confides in him in a, yes. in a couple of scenes throughout the 1666 portion of the film. Right. So as the town is now hunting down Sarah, because again, Hannah has been captured, uh, she runs to Solomon and Solomon protects her. And he's like, go hide. I'll take care of these people. Well, as she goes to find a place to hide, she finds this cellar. Mm-hmm. And when she walks down, oh my gosh, what do we find? But yeah. I mean, it reveals essentially <laughs> she finds this cellar that we see in, in 1978. Which is the witch's lair is what we assume we see the name with the walls on it. We see that blob in the middle of the floor and we see the book. And then someone goes, hey, what the hell are you doing down here? Like, you're not supposed to be here. And she's like, what is all this shit? And he's like, well, I kind of wanted to do something for myself. And here we are. (laughs) Yes, He gives this kind of asinine explanation where basically you find out that Solomon is, in fact, the one who killed the widow and stole her book, and he is the one who placed this curse upon the town and uh, got Cyrus Miller to be the killer. And uh, his explanation is he was just so tired of never winning, essentially, of of, never having things go his way. And so he's like, I want to basically create this prosperous world and uh <laughs> it's not going to happen over there at the other place essentially yeah, yeah, which yeah. we assume ends up to be shady, shady side. side but i mean to be, i mean too would I, I guess it wasn't focused on enough but I, it's kind of shown that i think his wife and his child died at some point right. so i mean that's kind of why he's like this secluded recluse, himself yeah. or something yeah from society but it is right the explanation is just kind of meh like yeah, okay like it wasn't sure. strong enough for him to essentially do what he did and when he talks about this curse, he says at one point, um, he's like, oh, it's fantastic because I only have to sacrifice 
one person like every so often um, in order for me to have this power, right? Mm -hmm. But then Sarah says, what do you mean sacrifice one person? Cyrus killed all these children. Yeah, like 15 people. Yeah, something like that. She's like, it's not one person. It's never as easy as you think because he essentially made a deal with the devil. Um, So by writing the name of someone on this wall, which we saw in 1978, that's the person he's essentially sacrificing to the devil. They will then become possessed and then essentially they're killing. Go on a all- rampage. Yeah. 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 And because as we can assume, the devil wants more than one soul. So this is this weird convoluted way of getting more than one soul by creating these killers, yada, yada. But that essentially explains all the names on the wall, the witch's lair, and then uh, kind of the events that happen uh, and how Sarah was the one to blame. And then to kind of round out, you know, the 66 part, because this is a two part finale. <laughs> you you start in 1966 yes. and then go to 1994. You go back to 94 to round it out. We get a couple of answers to things. So uh, there's a struggle between Sarah and Solomon. He ends up chopping off one of her hands in the fight, <laughs> yes. which is kind of dumb the way it happens. Right. But it's how they used to explain the whole you're hand. You're like, oh, here's the hand lore. thing. So, you know, the hand gets chopped off. We see that um, he, you know, gives her up to the other villagers. Right. And then they're like, oh, it's you. So they have them both arrested, both Hannah and Sarah at this point. And then they're obviously taking them off to be executed. And right. that's what we see again. We, we talked about it a little bit, but this the relationship between them all of a sudden becomes much deeper yes. in that moment when they're about to be executed. Right. And I can understand emotions are heightened. You're on the brink of death. Essentially, things progress. But to the level that they were trying to make it seem again doesn't feel authentic i would you know i think they would have benefited from having a prior relationship in this two-day relationship and i know i mean i think depending maybe i would have sacrificed myself for someone but essentially sarah decides she's going to be the one to die so she tells everyone that she bewitched hannah in order to save hannah's life and so she is then the one that is hung um but before she's killed she like tells solomon in this quiet moment between the two of them she's like oh i curse you and uh the truth will be told uh to anyone who like and, and I'm going to follow you throughout you yeah, and your descendants you. throughout like history. And, and you're right. It doesn't right. make sense because Solomon has the book that obviously is connected to these like devil spells. Right. And Sarah really inherently doesn't have any power herself. Yeah. So I don't really understand how the curse happened when she doesn't really exactly. have any supernatural ability yeah. that we're aware of. The same thing. I'm like, uh, do you just say a curse out loud and then it's real? And it's real like, because then it does become real. At least that's yeah. what we perceive in 94 and well, 78. Well, even kind of show it when her body is buried in the end, all her friends... Oh, well, because... Yeah, I don't think they even were going to give her a proper burial. They just left her hanging. So her friends come and receive her body. And then they bury her. When they bury her, Hannah was wearing... So there's the red moss that we see in 94 and 78. That's Mm -hmm. related to the witch. So she's wearing this crown of the red moss. So she drops the red moss crown into the grave. And then you see the moss spreading. It's supposed to be over the years from where her body lies. So I guess the assumption here is that this red moss is what's leading people to her, which 
leads them to the truth. Well, I think also she connects herself to that lair because right. we always see that red moss growing around yeah. that area. So whether mm-hmm. that be to, I guess, lead people to the truth or to just keep connected with the good family right. in a way like it, that is supposed to be a part of the witch as we understand it from yes. that moment, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so we do get the answers to a couple of things, right? Like we get, mm-hmm. we understand where the moss comes from. We mm-hmm. understand why there's flies because whenever the the right. devil's around, there's things that are rotting. Apparently, yes. So I'm we, guessing like a corrupted soul, rotting yeah, soul. Yeah, I mean, we get you know the hand being chopped off. We get the answer to that. Um, we see the hanging tree finally, which was referenced yes. in '94 in Shadyside Mall, right? And at the at Camp Nightwing. Mm-hmm. So we kind of get all this context, and then by the time when Sarah actually gets hung. That's when we get a little break in the action here, (laughs) and we get another title card that basically says, Fear Street, 1994. And it's like, part part two. two. (laughs) So we're like, okay, here we are. And we're like, woo, It does pick up a little bit in 94. Like, there are some really fun moments in this part, but, you know, I teased this in the beginning, like, I remember by the time we got to the end, we took a little break in the the action right there uh, when we were watching the film, and I was like, okay, we're almost wrapped up. Like, this is almost over. And I'm like, holy crap, there's so much more movie left. Like, that first part of 1666 felt so long it was still well uh, yeah exactly. it wasn't that long but it felt it like felt i had been sitting forever. there forever yeah well and then too i i believe was it in 1666 that we also learned that it's passed down from generation to generation i think we it was referenced but i think we got a better indication of that in, in, in 94. 94 but like yeah so essentially as we understand it every generation what we end up finding out is Starting with Solomon Goodman, every generation of Goodman has to go down, and every so often, we assume it's maybe it's around a couple of years, years. They have to go down so. and give another name up. So basically, yes. they're handing this down to their children, right, or nephew, or whatever it ends up being, and they go down and give another name and do this little ritual, I guess. Yes, yeah, and then that basically keeps Sunnyvale rich and keeps the goods in power, which is why Will, Nick's brother, is the mayor, and Nick is the sheriff. So they are controlling all the power in this city, and they're keeping their city rich and prosperous, which is why Shadyside continues to always have terrible luck, um, which is part of this, like, curse. So now we kind of know Sheriff Good cannot be trusted. We understand a little bit more about his role in 1978 with Ziggy, um, and they even do some flashbacks of those moments, too, where I think Nick is kind of like when he was deciding, oh, I don't know if I want to be the sheriff or not. I think we're all starting to realize it's not so much being the sheriff, but probably taking on this role of essentially sacrificing being, people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what we <laughs> end up kind of seeing towards the end of 94 is we see Nick Good as uh, the young kid in 1978 doing the ritual. So we can only assume that at the beginning of 1978, he performed his first, we'll call it the naming ritual. Right, And, you know, that's why he was so conflicted because he wasn't quite, he probably assumed what was going to happen, but he didn't really understand how it was going to play out. Right. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it's like 1617. I mean, you don't know, really know exactly like what, Especially at that kind of pressure, um, what's what's gonna what you want to do? Um, so, anyways, but yeah, I, as you come into 1994, Dina now knows the truth, and this kind of sets the pace for the rest of the film because now that she knows the truth and the sheriff knows she knows the truth, they kind of have to race in time 
to shut everything down, to end the curse for forever. So this is one of the things I actually love about, so we we finally get some more context into why we have this janitor character that we saw in 94. And we, you know, kind of complained about at the time. We're like, who is this janitor character that randomly is there? Um, They go seek him out. So this is what the entire, like, second half of the movie centers around. They go seek out this janitor character, which ended up to be actually kind of really funny. And I wish we had more of him. I love him. He was, um, if you guys watched uh, You're the Worst, he was one of the the group members for that. Yeah, for the, uh, the band or the music group or yeah, whatever yeah. but he's I love him he's hilarious but anyway they go find him out because he has all the keys to the mall and they devise this plan and, and they being like <laughs> you know you have Dina and you have uh, you Josh and who am I leaving out there's uh, Ziggy, Ziggy because Sam is still possessed at this point yes which they're dragging her along but they they go okay we want it, we need to kill Nick Good, like right. to end this curse. That's what they decided on. Yes. Also, the the one problem with the janitor, he agrees to killing the sheriff way right too away. quickly. Like, which I'm they like, come to him and they're like, "Hey, we need you to help us. We're gonna kill the sheriff." And he's, he's like, like, "I'm in. Let's do it." Let's and go. you're like, "What?" You're like, "Whoa, bro!" <laughs> which, I don't feel like the explanation is enough at this. I'm point. like, like, "I get your little man. He arrested you. It's a false arrest. We find out the sheriff." framed him which i was like what is even the point of that you could have just spray painted something and then been like oh we don't know who it is but anyways so but yeah he he was he was on board just right away but they get him because he has all the keys to the mall and what their kind of vision is they know the killers are going to come after them from you know like ruby lane and all these other ones like, okay we need to distract them with the blood of dina obviously so they get these vintage super soakers oh my god do this blood mixture with like water i think in some things and they spray it into the different it's glow in the dark paint yes blood and it was so that to me was like one of the coolest parts it was fun I thought it was so much fun yeah like we get the, the again nostalgia for the super soakers um, and because it was like the bright green like I remember the like, commercials for these in the 90s uh, like they were iconic original super soakers I mean like really it, it, it truly brought me back and yeah and then just this kind of genius moment of using the the black light paint to essentially see this trail of blood, which I thought was smart because they they drop all the lights and so everything is glow in the dark or black light. And then that way it's a very highly visible trail. So they know to stay off of those areas because that's where the killers are going to be. Um, and I thought this was very clever. Um, you know, trap and yeah. ploy. And it, they essentially do it so that the Killers can walk into specific stores and they're going to close the gate down on the stores and lock them in. So then they can't be a threat when they lure Nick Good in right. to the mall, which is where they plan to yeah. basically kill him, as I understand it. Right. So, um, but of course, you know, we don't need to go through every single moment there. But I mean, you know, there's some hijinks. Some of the killers get out. They have yes. some fights. Great with them. montage song, Come Out and Play by Offspring. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Again, and then, you know, we get, and that's another point. Like, so we, we missed a lot of that nostalgia in 66, and we get some of that back. Right. The Super Soakers with some of the soundtrack when we come yes. into that part. Part two of 94. Um, I want to mention one part in the whole montage. There's a part where like Josh is fighting, I think, Ruby, Ruby. Lane and the babyface killer yeah. or something like that. And he gets his head snapped around and I thought he was dead. I was like, oh my God, okay. they killed Josh. That was shocking. Like I he's dead. And not two seconds later, he gets up and, he, and he's fighting again. I'm they like, show him dude, later his with whole a- head got yeah. turned around. No, they show him later with a broken arm. And I'm like, what are you talking his about? Neck. Like, she like snapped his neck. Like if you see that scene in The Exorcist where like the head goes all the way around, that's that's literally what happened. And he gets up like he just got like 
punched in the arm. Like, it, uh, it was ridiculous. He, yeah, he got up as if he just went back from a chiropractor and was like, <laughs> I feel great. Like, uh, honest to God. And he was also stabbed by the kid, too. And well, that's right, he was. I, that, totally, I totally forgot about that. Yes, and that's another one of these instances where somebody is seriously injured and they're just like, nah. That happened. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, you know, of course, since we are spoiling it a little bit, you know, eventually there's there's a struggle that ensues towards the end where we have Dina and kind of C. Berman fighting Nick Good, and then it's Dina that ends up giving the final blow, right? To uh, So actually it's Sarah who actually takes... Oh, that's down. right. Okay. I'm, so, I, I'm uh, not looking at my notes closely enough. No, <laughs> it's fine. It, this is the part that kind of got a little crazy to me is, so I think think they basically they they find the grate at the mall that leads them down to the cave and they get down there and nick follows them and it's when they're there basically i think by the blob or yeah, he touches the blob so that yes. and we've already established in 1978 that that's you kind of get this flashback of all the kills and killers when you touch it. So he's in this little bit of a... He's already attacked Dina and tried to... He's like stabbed her and he's attacked some other people. uh, And then he's in this trance and he's bumbling around kind of like in a haze because he's seeing seeing these flashbacks. The victims of basically everyone that died because of his actions by creating these killers. And this disorients him. And then this is the part that I just... Just don't understand is Sarah Fear somehow comes back in a corporeal form, possibly, and stamps Nick, which kills him. But then it's like she disappears. I'm like, so what was that like her spirit? Like, what is how is she doing that? How is she able to bring her like spirit back from the dead to kill him like that part i was just very confused yeah so he gets i mean he gets stabbed in the eye he dies you know and then when when he finally dies we see like the mark disappear we see the blob disappear right the names the names on the wall wall. get erased and then you know um to kind of cap things off we see dina and sam crawl out of the passageway right. and Sam is co- no longer possessed because Sam's no longer yeah. possessed once that happens and then they come out and they see actually another good nod I want to I want to nod to the Fear Street books before oh, we go on is like we established because again we, we thought we were gonna have to say like oh another person gets stabbed and it doesn't affect them but right. she reveals under her shirt the reason why she wasn't affected by the stab from Nick Good is she's wearing a protective layer of Fear Street books <laughs> Fear Street. which is like oh that's kind of fun so she had gone back to that original bookstore and actually like made, made like this, this little yeah. vest which I was like smart yeah i mean you guys are being stabbed left and right yeah. like <laughs> and then like i mean there's a couple of things that happen at the end but i mean you know we see that sunny dale is no longer protected we they walk well, out of um the, the, well anyway that yes. passageway as i was saying leads to nick good's house they which is see a mansion, a, which is a mansion. Yeah. A sheriff. yeah it must have had some really good luck <laughs> but we see kind of a family tree that starts with solomon good so it establishes the whole family line right they walk out of the house and i still don't know who this person is okay yes who gets hit by a dump truck as soon as they walk out of the house i thought it was the mayor well, it's a car the car's but backing out of the driveway and they just get straight hit by a dump truck and yeah, I couldn't quite figure it out who this person's supposed to be because it felt significant, but then it's like not touched on because, yeah, like you said, we thought possibly it was the mayor, like Nick's brother, but no, we see him later in the news kind of being like, oh my God, I can't believe my brother did all this stuff. 
Um, so then my my second thought was like, is this just showing us that Sunnyvale is no longer blessed by like wealth and power and good luck and that now people are actually starting to suffer consequences or like the realities of things? Um, that's not quite explained for a moment that seems kind of pivotal. No, I, I guess it could be. And then, you know, at the end, we get some feel good moments. You know, we see... Dina and Sam kind of cement their relationship. We see Josh kind of figure out who that person was that we saw him chatting with in 1994. It was such a throwaway, like, it was. Yeah. Because, I mean, I mean, we we knew the chat name, but there was that whole relationship with it was Kate in 1994 that was, as we said, very awkward and and uncomfortable. Super (laughs) creepy and uncomfortable. Um, but yeah, that, that didn't really play out mm. very well. It felt insignificant. Um, and then also, they, of course, wrap it up nice and tidy with Nick being just accused of being a serial killer. Yeah. Which I'm like, okay, so he, is he the second serial killer since Ryan Torres is obviously blamed for all the first ones because he obviously did kill them. And like somehow... A serial killer of who, though? Yeah, I, I don't really understand that. And then we see, you know, like his brother, the mayor, uh, he gets accused everything. of corruption or something oh, yes, like Ryan, that. Right. Yeah, so yeah, he yeah. also goes down. So we see that, you know, Sunnydale isn't so sunny anymore. And, and of course, then we would assume that the curse on Shady Siders has been lifted and that they're not going to get just, you know, massacred every couple yeah, of years. Yeah. But then, uh, you know what annoys me is the ending. It's, it's oh, right when, like, 1978 tag. could have had a great ending. This movie could have had a great ending. There's a teaser. Someone goes adding five extra minutes for no reason. Yeah, Yeah, like there's a teaser where it's like we just did a trilogy of these books, and so it ends with we go back into the mall, we see a hand steal the book that's still in the lair downstairs. It's covered with police tape, right? And that's the end. And it says to be continued. And I'm like, what's to be continued? What are we? What are we going to see? The same thing that we just saw? Like, yeah. Oh god, no. I said the same thing because I I literally wrote my notes. Why was the book still in the cave? Why wasn't it placed in evidence? Because that's the first place it should have gone. It shouldn't have been available for anyone to take. And then I said, will there be a future film or a series? Because this was three movies. You know, I I, I don't know. Uh, it, it didn't make any sense. Like, it, there didn't need to be a continuation. You could have just ended no. it there. And if you wanted to do something else later on, just do that without needing to put that at the end for no reason. Right, because you could have used that as an opener. If you decided to do a sequel or something, you could have just shown that exact scene of someone stealing the book, and you're like, oh, okay, so that's how this is reoccurring. But you know, one of the things I did like about this film, though, is that we got a little more insights into some of the other, you know, killers in right. the show, which was kind of nice. We got some little vignettes, which was like, oh, this is neat. You know what I want to say about this series? I feel like some of the side characters and even some of the story could have been better built. In maybe a mini series, like making this Agreed. into, you know, maybe what, a six or eight part? Yes. And it could have been a little more interesting and I think would have told a better story. So yeah, I think if they broke these fil- three films up into smaller episodes and then use those little cliffhanger moments, I think this would have been a much smarter way to kind of really tighten up the storyline and then bring us along because there, yeah, there's moments where both like, all of these three films kind of drag out a little bit and the stories felt a little like convoluted. And I think had they done a mini series that allowed it to play out the way that they needed it to with this timeline they've set up, uh, I think would have been a smarter way than trying to cut it up into these three films, especially 1666 with the two parters. Yeah, I mean, I think it would have been better told. And you know what I think? I think it's just a budgetary thing. I These films right. had already been produced. Uh, they were picked up by 21st Century Fox and then sold to Netflix. So, I mean, okay, yeah. the 
probably by the time that happened, these had already been thought of as three feature-length films that were supposed mm-hmm. to have theatrical releases. So that could have been part of it. But still, I think it would have been better served if they could have gotten a little more budget. They could have done a few right. reshoots. And they could have really done something more interesting, I think, with this this series or, or this film series. I, oh, I definitely. Say. Yeah, I think it had so much potential, which is why I was so excited to watch it because I was like, this is such an interesting concept. Also, a little new for streaming to drop three films. Feature-length films. Feature-length yeah. films, yeah. Over three weeks, essentially. So it's kind of a back-to-back-to-back. It's like almost a miniseries in of itself, um, just with like, you know, an hour and a half to two hours for each. So... Um, yeah, I, I think it might have been more successful had Netflix decided to go with a format that they are the most successful at, which is shows. Shows, the yeah. miniseries. Yeah, like I think this could have been like one of those one-off miniseries of like, you know, I, I'm thinking yes. like eight episodes. Oh, like yeah. this could have been like an eight-episode show. Exactly, two part. And then um, I think too, uh, this would lean itself a little bit better to create sequels if they wanted to. And rather Additional than, seasons. Yeah. yeah. So, and that could have made a little bit more sense because it's Fear Street books and I think they have a lot more source material there. And, and uh, yeah, anyways, I, I yeah. think it was a missed opportunity. You know, one more thing that kind of affects me and, you know, I, I don't want this to come, I always feel like when I venture into areas like this, Jade, that it comes off not as good that's a terrible way to put it but (laughs) but bear with me here so you know i'm obviously a a straight white male and i want to comment on the 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 lesbian relationship that we have between dina and sam and and now that we have the complete picture of what that relationship is right i have some real problems with it from from uh, you know maybe from pop culture side maybe from societal values maybe from you know what's going on because here's the thing like I feel like in the past decade, you know, like homosexual men have really gotten their due in terms of like some really great films out there, right? Like oh, yeah. Dallas Buyers Club comes to mind. Milk is yeah, another great Sean Ben. Like yeah, call me, like like some really great films where you're able to take these relationships of men very seriously and dramatically, much like you have with a lot of great dramas with heterosexual couples. Right. I feel like now we're starting to see more movies that are elevating lesbian relationships beyond just being there as sexual toys for (laughs) men. Let's be honest. Like, I mean, most of the time, if you think back, you know, 20 years, that's what most, you know, in in mainstream films, lesbians were there to just fulfill fantasies for straight men. Like, what I have a problem with in this show, and yes, I know it's horror, and I know that it's supposed to be a little campy at times. If they wanted to create a show that centers around this relationship between these two women and wanted us to take it seriously, I think they needed to go back and rewrite it. Because yeah. we start off in the beginning where we have Dina and Sam, or Dina especially, really taking this whole relationship poorly, especially because Sam had moved on, had right. tried to have other relationships. We don't quite know if she's bisexual or not, but right. it's... It, the problem is, by the time we get to the end of the movie, after they've Dina's literally tried to kill Sam, <laughs> yes. and and really what we find out, yes, they had a past relationship, but I mean, this whole 1994 segment only takes place over the course of a couple of days. Right. By the end, they're we said it before, they're like ride or die, just like the relationship we saw in 1666. They want to get together, they want to get, and, and yeah, emotions will be running high. But I don't think it does justice to what we're supposed to take away from their relationship. And I think, I wish it had been taken a little more seriously. No, I mean, in that vein, I do agree. Because, like I said, I think I think using their 
relationship in 1666 as the entire like point of why they're even accused of being witches in the first place like that's a that's a huge deal like you know obviously you know women being together in the 1600s like very much not tolerated yeah um and i think that they should have like i said like i think they should have played into it more like again I think they should have had a deeper relationship from the get. I don't think they gave us enough of a chance to see these characters get together and truly have that love for each other that we're trying to, or that they're trying to show us or make us believe. And I think had they taken a little bit more care to work on their story, exactly what it meant to be um, both lesbian in 1994 and in 1666, I think having taken a more careful approach and a more, uh, you know, introspective approach would have allowed for that to shine through more than I think they're they're getting. I think they, they obviously made it an important aspect of the story. Um, and I think that's great that we're seeing that, but I just don't think it's it's done as well as they, they could have done it. I actually wrote down in my notes towards the end, I said, what what was this movie trying to do? Was it, was it a lesbian drama? Was it a horror movie? Was it suspense? Or was it a comedy? And I don't feel like, yeah. I feel like it, there's, I can like half check all of those boxes, but <laughs> right. I don't think it does a great job in any of those categories. No, it, it tried to be too many things at once. And mm-hmm. I don't think it really understood what it wanted to be and I think had they honed in on that a little bit more I think it would have been stronger and tighter and definitely more enjoyable overall so let's boil it down and we've kind of given our perspective on some things that we kind of like sometimes you know some other things we didn't like about this one this kind of wraps up the whole series so not just in terms of this film Jade but kind of taking all three of them as a whole where would you kind of rank this entire series I think uh, after watching all three, I'm a trash. It's enjoyable trash. I think it's definitely an easy watch. It's a good kind of little weekend, like, you know, thing to do with like your friends or whatever, but it is trash. I mean, you're not gaining too much from it. It's not a must see, but it's a, you know, you can watch it if you want. Yeah, I, I would agree. You know, I thought we were going to differ on this. I thought you were going to be a little bit higher in your ranking than I. I also put this firmly in trash. It's not a dumpster fire. Like, don't, no, you know, yeah. it, there's some great qualities. redeemable moments. Like, this is kind of a trash film you can put on and kind of watch. And, you, I mean, they pound you over the head so much with the plot that, like, you're not yeah. going to miss anything, even if you miss a couple <laughs> of minutes. Very true. So it's not something you have to really pay attention to. You know, had it checked more of the boxes that we said, I think I could have put this a little bit higher. But, I right. mean, it's... It's just kind of a trash, kind of fun series that, you know, if you want to watch it, great. If not, you're, you're, you're not, not really, out. you're not going to miss out on any pop culture. We're not going to be quoting this movie <laughs> 10 years down the road. Right, for sure. yeah. We're not making references to this for any time. The truth will follow you forever. What happens now? Well, you know, Jade, actually, we're going to talk a little more about our rating system uh, in a new thing that we're going to do called, I think we're going to call it like a mini-sode. We're still branding it a little bit. We're still feeling things out, but we're going to talk <laughs> yes. a little about So tune in for that. Uh, we're thinking about a day to release that. It might be Fridays, but uh, pay attention to your, whatever you listen to your podcast, because we're going to go a little more in depth than that and a few other things with this. But... You know, before we go, Jade, uh, I do want to talk about a few things, uh, just some upcoming movies that we're excited to watch. I know there's a lot of releases coming out this summer, maybe just one or two that, you know, we're looking forward to coming out. Uh, Is there something that jumps out to you? 
Oh, for sure. I mean, right off the bat, Free Guy with Ryan Reynolds. Oh I mean, first of all, I feel like there's almost no movie besides Green Lantern that Ryan Reynolds. Can, <laughs> you he know, even acknowledges do. that. <laughs> yes, Deadpool two ending. Hello, um, but you know, I feel like he can almost do no wrong in a movie. He's phenomenal, and the concept alone for this is if you game at all, just yeah. knowing that. They're following the story of a free free character, essentially, which is like a background character in a video game. And uh, it's following him as he kind of, I think, realizes that he's a free character in a video it, game. It's kind of like, like, it feels like it parodies Truman Show a little bit. And, but in terms like he's <laughs> yes. in a video game, that's like, if anyone's familiar with the game, I, I mean, if you're our age, you are Grand Theft Auto. It feels like a Grand Theft Auto <laughs> yes. type game where he's like maybe a pedestrian on the sidewalk living his everyday life while right. other people are playing the game. Around and he's just yeah. kind of living it yes. every single day over and over again. Yeah. So it's like he could die. He could not die. He's just kind of experiencing the game around him. But then I think um, at one point he gains like the knowledge of the fact that he is in a video game. And that's kind of where the, the plot starts. So that's in theaters actually starting on August 13th. So we don't know where that's streaming yet, but I'm sure it will be soon after, a few months afterwards. But right. you know a movie that's already out, Jade, that... I think it's convinced me, maybe just through the advertising I need to see, is Black Widow. I mean, I, I'm always hesitant. I don't know that I'll see this in theaters. It's already out. It's going to be on Disney Plus starting October 6th. But I mean, you have Scarlett Johansson, obviously, as Black mm-hmm. Widow. You have Florence Pugh in, in this as well. Am I saying that right? Pugh? Pugh? I think it's Pugh. Pugh? I don't know why I can't get names right today. But, um, <laughs> you know, who, who's phenomenal in a lot of things. And it looks like a really exciting movie but I, I think I'm gonna wait till it's out on Disney Plus I don't know if I'm gonna go see this in theaters yeah I mean it's currently on Disney Plus to rent for like 30 bucks <laughs> I I can't bring myself to do that yet same I was gonna say I I definitely want to watch it but I think it's not strong enough for me to spend that kind of money so yeah I think I'm gonna wait till it comes uh, as free or available on Disney Plus but uh, I think it's exciting it's a good we kind of actually finally get to hear Black Widow's story I think she's one of the few Avengers that we don't actually get um, any real background other than the tiny little bits of story that she intersperses throughout all the films. But uh, so it'd be nice to kind of see her origins and where she comes from and also just some badass females. Any other films that people should be looking out for? Well, speaking of Marvel, uh, Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. Mm, I'm so excited. Okay, so, so <laughs> I'm so excited for this. You probably don't recognize this name unless you watch a ton of stuff like Jade and I do. But yep. uh, I had to look up his name because I, I had seen it in titles. But it, it's Simu Liu. He is the uh, main character in this uh, in this movie. But yeah, he's, he's from. But what I love is he's from Kim's Convenience, and I love yes. him in that show. Yes. He's so kind of funny. He but he's also good at dramatic acting. I think this is going to be a role that people are going to start to that are going to recognize. It's going to be his big breakout role oh, for sure. that people are going to recognize him from, and he's going to go on and do some great things. Like I think he's going to oh, kill it in this movie. I, I think he was the perfect choice because he knows how to do that balance between the comedy and the drama, and I think he can bring that to that role as where Marvel that's kind of their their thing, right, a little bit, is they bring a lightheartedness to a lot of their heroes in these dramatic moments, and I think he's able to balance that really well. And that's going to be in theater starting September 3rd, but, you know, also I'm sure later in the year, probably, I would imagine, you know, November, December time frame, it'll be on Disney Plus as well, uh, because everything now <laughs> comes to Disney Plus. Disney Plus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the last one I want to mention, it's been out for a little while, but it's actually going to be the next movie that we review. We're going to get away from the horror genre, and we're going to do yes. Gunpowder Milkshake. Yes. I have been waiting to watch this film because Same. I knew we were going to review it. Same. And it, <laughs> I, I'm just like giddy. It, this seems... 
to me, this seems to embody what like summer blockbuster is. Like it, it oh, might be a little trashy. It might be really great, this but I'm not sure. Looks like it might be on the same like level, but a little bit above like Army of the Dead, where you're just not worried about any sort of little maybe plot holes or things aren't that great. You have a lot of expectations. Like, yeah, I think you're just, yeah. you suspend your expectation and go, I'm just going to sit here and enjoy it and maybe it'll be great. Maybe it'll be trash. I don't yeah. care because I'm going to get a lot of action and yeah. I'm going to get some funny great dialogue cast. and there's a great cast. I, yeah. Like, it, it has to be somewhat good. So, yeah. that's going to be the next movie that we do. But, oh, man. Uh... I don't. I don't know what else, Jade. I, I think that's about it for today. I would probably go on talking for another two hours, but which is why we have our mini. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, stick around for that. We're gonna do uh, you know a little more on Jade and I and some of the movies that really affected us and that, that we grew up with. And we're gonna talk uh, you know just a little more uh, about each other so you can get to know us more. So yeah. stay tuned for our little mini sode. Uh, you know, tune in next week for Gunpowder Milkshake review. And what else am I leaving out, Jade? Uh, just remember to uh, rate, review, and follow us. And we also have a ton of socials now. So you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, and we are working on a website. So stick around. More and to come on that. Wait for that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we'll see you next week. Be sure to tune in. To get ourselves a treat. There's some music that happens.